HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I'm Sam Edwards. I'm third generation cure master from S. Wallace Edwards and Sons in Surrey, Virginia. We support the Heritage Radio Network because we believe in the cause and what they're doing. They're supporting family-raised livestock, small family farms, uh, certified humane, pasture-raised, antibiotic-free. Basically, we take the products from Heritage Foods USA and make them into uh, Serrano-style hams, prosciutto-style hams, bacon, sausage, like my grandfather did. You can find us at Surrey Farms. Dot com or virginiatraditions.com You're listening to Cutting the Curd hosted by Ann Saxelby You're listening to Cutting the Curd hosted by Ann Saxelby you're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby, broadcast live to the Cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby. Um, our show today has been sponsored by Edwards, uh, purveyors or makers of delicious cured Virginia hams. And our show today is being produced by Jack Inslee and engineered by Nat Wiener. Um, if you have questions for us, please do email them to the station at info at heritageradionetwork.com. And feel free to uh, contribute to the Cutting the Curd discussion on the Heritage Twitter feed, which is at hrnupdates.com. If you have comments about our show or questions or want to add anything, please feel free to make your contributions. Today we are continuing our state of the or our state of cheese series uh, with New Hampshire, which I'm very excited about. Um, the sort of neighbor to Vermont, less well known cheese state than Vermont, but making some great strides in the cheese industry. And here with me today is Doug Herb of Landaff Creamery. Uh, Doug, are you with us? I'm here. Hey, how are you? Good. Very good. Thank you for taking time out of your Sunday, and I hear time uh, out of the Patriots game. That's a that's a pretty big commitment. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't played a good first half, so I, I'm, I'm better <laughs> off on the radio, I guess. <laughs> this is a welcome escape. <laughs> oh, well, how did um, so? Uh, t- I'm not the hugest football connoisseur, but Tom Brady is that the quarterback? That's right. Is it true that he's the prettiest man in football? Uh, I can't be the judge of that. <laughs> 
<laughs> We'd have to ask your wife, Debbie. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, all right. Well, so that's one frivolous thing out of the way. The other thing is daylight savings time. Uh, today is the first day of daylight savings time. And, you know, how do farmers feel about daylight savings time? Is this really something that you look forward to? I mean, having to get up so early and uh, and milk the cows? Um, we we uh, we think it's a value up here. Uh, I just don't like seeing the school bus go through in the dark in the morning. Yeah, and and that's the reason behind it is is safety for the school kids, and uh, it's something we've always dealt with, and it isn't a problem. Oh, that's great! No, it's so funny. I'd always heard of it more in terms of a benefit to farmers because you know it makes the day kind of more in tune with uh, you know with farming practices, getting up with the sun and all that. I didn't know that there was a school component to it as well. We get up before the sun and we go to bed after the sun anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Okay. Point taken. I always say that, you know, farmers work the hardest of anybody, followed by chefs and then followed by everybody else. There's kind of a sliding scale there. <laughs> um, but so uh, I wanted to ask you uh, first about, about your farm. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your farm and how you guys got into cheese making? Yeah. Um, we're located in northern New Hampshire. We're actually, most of our farming goes on in, um, along the Amanusik River Valley. Uh, the Amanusik River actually starts at the Lake of the Clouds up on Mount Washington okay. and comes down through the, the granite uh, stones of, of New Hampshire, and we feel that's one of the reasons why our cheese has a, a little bit of a unique flavor. Um, we're about a, an 80-cow dairy. Um, my dad bought the dairy in 1952. Um, we went down, started down the road uh, to expansion in '91. Um, when when the dairy industry started showing signs of of uh, some weakness, um, we kind of ran out of land uh, and went back to the 80 cow um, size, and we've been pretty successful at that until about uh, 2006 um, when the dairy industry showed further sign of weakness and, and herds started to grow uh, all over the country and decided that we needed to develop a value-added portion. Um, we visited a lot of different uh, operations, uh, had some really fascinating uh, visits with people in cheese shops and decided that we'd like to try um, uh, a um, cheese of some sort. And um, we were kind of floundering in the dark trying to figure out what to do, and my wife uh, Googled um, the town of Landaff, and it came up with Landaff Wales um, and found out that in that area... There was a Caerphilly-style cheese that was made. Huh. So we started studying that cheese and and found that it would fit good with our milk and with our operation. Now, and, what kind of... what uh, started taking classes. The first class we took was with Peter Dixon. Then we went on to take classes at uh, VIAC at UVM. Um, and somewhere during the process, we got in... Uh, Introduced to Matteo Keeler mm-hmm. by Jasper Hill, and um, so here we are. 
And so, um, tell first of all, I, I'm wondering. Um, so, have you been to? Have you been able to go to Wales yet to actually see how those those traditional um, Carfilly cheeses are made? And if not, do you have plans to go? Uh, we, I was able to go. I went in 2008. Um, we took the the classes at Viac, and then uh, Matteo and Andy hooked us up with uh, Chris Duckett and Jemima Cordell uh, in Somerset, England, uh, where they made a traditional uh, curfilly, and I was able to go over and study under them. And that's one of the things that put us, put us on the road to where we are with this cheese. Absolutely. Uh, they were very open with, with what they do and how they do it, and it was a tremendous experience. And how long did you stay with them, with the Duckets? I was there for a little under a week. Um, we made cheese three days, and then I, I uh, uh, went into to, uh, London and toured Neil's yard and, and um, got a chance to learn a little bit about the uh, farmstead cheese businesses um, in, in England. Now, what would you say would be the difference for you um, between taking classes at a place like VIAC, um, which for our listeners who don't know it, is the Vermont Institute of Artisan Cheese, um, versus working on a farm and, ap- and actually observing the cheese being made firsthand? Well, I think the two, the two uh, it's kind of like a one-two punch. Um, the VIAC gives you the, the science behind it, um, and and the theory and understanding the interrelationships, and then actually being on the farm and making it gives you a feel for it and gives you some specifics on on different um, procedures. The two the two work very well. Uh, it would be uh, hard to do one without the other. Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like having that, uh, having that dual experience is, is really important because a lot of people get one experience or the other, but mm-hmm. uh, um, having them in tandem would definitely make for a better cheese. So, well, Landaff is obvi- it's, it's an amazing, delicious cheese. It's a raw cow's milk cheese. I think um, it's generally aged between four and five months. Isn't that right? Yes. Up, up at yeah. Jasper Hill. And so can you tell us a little bit more about your relationship with uh, Jasper Hill and how you guys work together um, on Landaff? Well, I, uh, we kind of break the, the uh, farmstead cheese business into, into four businesses. Uh, one is, is milking, making the milk, the dairy, doing a good job with the cows. The second is, is taking the raw milk and creating the cheese with it. The third is, is aging the cheese, which is a whole separate science from the production of the cheese. And, and then the marketing and distribution is a whole other business in, in addition to the... So by creating a relationship with Jasper Hell. We make the cheese and ship it over to them as green cheese, and then they do the aging and they do the marketing and distribution. So we had to learn. We already knew how to make the milk. We had to learn the, the, the cheese-making aspect of it, and then we turn it over to them for um, the aging and for the marketing and distribution. All four of those parts have different skill sets. And um, 
to adequately market a product is a skill set in itself. And, and we didn't feel that we had the know-how and the skill to go out and market a product. Um, by partnering with Jasper Hill, they already have some great, great products in, in the, the Cabot cloth bound and their Jasper Hill products and the Oma from, from the Montrap family. And so they walk into a, to a customer and they have a lot more to offer than if we were to go um, to New York City and, and carry our one cheese around and, and try to get people's valuable time in, in, in buying our product. I think that's so smart. I mean, there are efficiencies and uh, sort of symbiotic things in many ways, but not only is it, uh, from my end, um, is it easier for me because um, all of the cheeses that are aged at the cellars at Jasper Hill are sent down to my store on a refrigerated truck as opposed to coming in via FedEx in 10 different boxes with 10 different problems as they usually (laughs) tend to come from FedEx. Um, But then also, you know, I think it's very smart to realize that there are four businesses, which are four full-time jobs, you know, associated with farmstead cheese making. Many more, actually, if you consider, you know, maintenance of the pasture and everything else. So, I think that the way you guys approached your business is amazing and pretty. It's a it's a great model for those who are thinking of getting into farmstead cheese making. Um, and uh, I actually think it's uh, time for us to take a very quick break. But when we come back, I have a couple more questions about your farm. And then I'd love to hear about other cheesemakers uh, working in the state of New Hampshire. Stay with us. Here she comes. You better watch your step. She's gone to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby. If you have questions or comments for us about the show, please send us an email to info at heritageradionetwork.com, or you can comment on the Twitter feed at, at HRNUpdates. Uh, my guest today is Doug Erb, owner of Landaff Creamery, and we are talking about the state of cheese in New Hampshire. Um, so, uh, Doug, what what's what would you say what's what's the deal new hampshire and vermont right next to each other why i why are there so many dairy farms in vermont why do we hear so much about cheese in vermont and not hear so much about cheese in new hampshire it all has to do with the land and okay um new hampshire is actually about uh 85 percent forested 
Uh, a lot of the land in the state of New Hampshire is not suitable for dairy farming. Um, nothing compared. We have no Champlain Valley. Um, we haven't got the, the beautiful open fields that they have in the, in the Hardwick area. Um, there will never be. We, uh, traditional dairy farms where, where Vermont is over 1,000, uh, we're about 130 dairy farms. Wow. Uh, most of it is concentrated in, in the Connecticut River Valley and in the Merrimack River Valley. Um, so and we'll those... never have, have the dairy industry just because of the land um, that, that Vermont does. But isn't it true that Vermont was close to being completely forested at one point? And then they cleared a lot of it for farmland, and, and now it might be, you know, there's more forest than there used to be, obviously, because there aren't as many farms. Um, but New Hampshire, just you're just saying New Hampshire soil and, and the lay of the land isn't as well suited to dairy farming. Right. Okay. Well, and you said you guys are in a river valley. What's the lay of the land like on your farm? Um, it's a very narrow valley. valley. It isn't even a half a mile wide. Um, it's kind of a sandy... Um, sandy loam, um, where the actual farmstead sits. Our farm name is Springvale Farms, mm-hmm. and we have a lot of lot of wetland. Um, actual tillable land in the old farmstead is only about fifty five, and we rent uh, another hundred uh, about a hundred acres um, that's owned by other people up in the in, in the in the river valley. So. We actually, there's, there's us and one other farm right in this small valley, and between the two of us, we use all the land there is available. Um, Paul Collins milks uh, about 120 cows, and, and we milk about 80 cows, and that's all that this little valley can, can sustain. Wow. So how much land would you say does it take for, how much land does, a, does one cow need? Um, somewhere between two and three acres. It okay. uh, depends on whether you're pasturing or growing corn or, or your ability to grow um, high-yield um, corn. Um, so it's, it's between two and three. About six, about six tons of dry matter to feed a cow for a year. Wow, that's a lot of that's a lot of food. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sure and so you guys with the, with a shorter growing season, what is your what is your feed like with for your animals? Well, we put up um, we put up some corn silage. Uh, we feed about sixty uh, percent corn silage, forty percent <coughs> haylage, which is a combination of local grasses that grow around here. A little bit of alfalfa, but not much. And then we buy all of our concentrates in and and uh, through Cargill, and <clears throat> the concentrates at are about 40% of the total diet, and the uh, forages are about 60% of the diet. Okay. And concentrates, um, that's a term I'm not quite as familiar with. Could you tell me what, the, what that is? Is that more fat, more protein for the animals? Yeah, it would be, it would be more protein um, and more energy. Uh, energy for milk uh, production is, is um, it's very tough to get all all that the cows will genetically handle out of just forages. Mm-hmm. So we, we give them some um, uh, 
it's a mix of corn and soybeans and and uh, um, hulls and and um, different um, concentrated <clears throat> that would have a lot higher percentages of the of the protein and the energy in it. And so, when you're dealing with cheese milk, what uh, what what kind of butter fat are you guys looking at? We we're well, we're running right now about four percent. Okay. Um, and uh, we average, it'll drop down when the cows go on to pasture in the, in the spring mm-hmm. um, because the protein's so much higher in the early grasses. But we're between uh, 3.8 and 4% most of the time. And you guys are milking, are you milking Holsteins? Holsteins, yes. Okay, okay. Yeah. And, uh, and the, the 4% is pretty good for Holstein herd. Yeah. Absolutely. It's something that we've... Uh, um, bred genetically, and we don't push our cows real hard. Um, we don't feed uh, additives. Uh, we just feed a very simple diet, and we keep the forages as high high as we can, and and try to keep our cows healthy. Well, that's, I mean, you can tell, just like you said, your milk is ideally suited to the style of cheese because um, the, the, the flavors that come out in that Landaff are so, are so wonderful. Um, Thank you. Well, I was wondering, could you tell me, uh, I, I, was, I was talking with, uh, with your wife just for a second yesterday, and um, could you tell me a little bit about some of the other um, cheesemakers in uh, New Hampshire? How, how many are there, and um, are they all milking cows, or are some doing sheep and goat cheeses? There's. There's uh, about 11 of us. Um, uh, just down the road is, is Roby Farms. Mm-hmm. They're in Piermont. They make a variety of, of cheeses. Um, they, they make a very good product. Um, and then Boggy Meadow Farm makes a, a baby Gouda, and they're down in Walpole. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, probably... <laughs> Probably one of the guys we had the most fun with when we were touring local cheese places is, places is a guy by the name of Tom Merriman that's down at Sandwich Creamery, mm-hmm. and he he buys milk in and and he makes a variety of products, uh, real high product uh, quality products, and he makes a, an ice cream. And ah, <coughs> uh, the famous ice cream I've Conway. heard of that. <laughs> Hmm? I said the famous ice cream. I've heard of that. <laughs> yeah, he's not too far from Conway, but he's he's uh, way down in kind of a backwoods hole, and he he's he's made it an adventure just to find his place. <laughs> <laughs> and he we had a really good talk. He um, he was very helpful in helping us understand the the dynamics of the the business side of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he worked ten years to get his his operation to the point where it would sustain him and his family and, and discussed a lot of the, the um, problems that he went through, and, but he does a, a real nice job. And now, uh, so that's, that's an important thing because the transition from milking cows and selling milk, um, you know, to a, a large company versus making cheese is a whole different business setup. Are, with the setup that you guys have going now, is the farm uh, with the 80 cows, is that a profitable operation for you guys? Um, we're, we're starting to get our nose above water, let's put it this way. We've, we, we made our first batch in January 2009, mm-hmm. um, and we've learned uh, 
a lot about running the two businesses simultaneously, um, and we're still trying to find that proper balance uh, between two, running two operations. Um, we aren't quite there yet, but we're gaining, and and uh, um, the cheese seems to be going better and better, and and so I'm very encouraged about um, 2011. And it's given us something uh, to really look forward to and some control over our own destiny, too. Absolutely. Well, I mean, for on my end, people absolutely love Landaff. All of my customers, be, it, be they retail customers or chefs, I think it's an incredibly versatile cheese, you know, and, uh, and it has, you know, we're just selling more and more of it. So, um, we'll, we'll try to do, do the best that we absolutely can. (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) Um, so I was wondering, uh, are there any sort of, I know like the Vermont Cheese Council, you know, or, um, California Cheesemakers Guild or Michigan Cheesemakers Guild, some states have organizations for cheesemakers to help make those kind of connections that you were talking about. Um, mm-hmm. Does anything like that exist in New Hampshire? New Hampshire's been very proactive. Um, I've got a copy of the uh, New Hampshire Zone um, uh, program right in front of me here. Our, our um, Commission of Agriculture is a lady by the name of Lorraine Stewart Merrill that actually farms uh, on a fam- family farm. And uh, her, her and her organization has been very uh, supportive. Uh, they've done a lot with farm to restaurant, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> um, and and um, wine and cheese tours. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a little guest book here at the Creamery. We we have a it's open all the time. We have a viewing window in, into the make room and and pictures of the different processes. And it's it's absolutely fascinating the people that have found us from all over the country, just through New Hampshire's uh, wine and cheese trails. Now, where is there a website or anything like that where people could uh, to could go to learn more about New Hampshire cheese and yep. wine? Uh, it's um, New Hampshire Winery Association dot com for the wine mm-hmm. side, and New Hampshire Dairy Promo dot org. Uh, for the cheese side. That is absolutely fantastic. That's so great and so wonderful that your commissioner of agriculture actually has a farm. I mean, that, <laughs> that I haven't heard many stories like that. That's pretty great. <laughs> um, so that's interesting. So a lot of people have found you guys. A lot of people have sought you out. Do you envision yourselves becoming sort of mentors for um, any other burgeoning cheesemakers in the state, or was is that something you guys would be interested in doing at some point? Well, um, one of the things that helped us uh, down the line is the willingness of of uh, people to share their thoughts and and their processes. So we are trying to give back in the same way that that people were were kind to us when when we were first starting. Um, John Taylor, uh, John Wright at Taylor Taylor Farms in Londonderry, Vermont, was was especially good. Uh, I had a lot of good visits with John when when we were first starting. Uh, we have a common common um, theme that neither one of us wants to milk goats, so we're <laughs> we're happy with our dairy cows. <laughs> Oh, that's great! Yeah, goats are a whole other can of worms. <laughs> that's right. Um, 
Well, that's that's fantastic. Uh, so, and then how about uh, how about your own farm? Do you guys have any plans for um, succession uh, on on your farm? Um, we don't. Uh, we have three uh, grown kids. Um, one of them is piloting helicopters in Afghanistan right now. Wow, that's uh, amazing. One of them is a firefighter paramedic in Florida, and uh, my daughter uh, is a uh, Backyard poultry expert with uh, um, Connecticut Central Central Connecticut Co-op in in Connecticut, um, uh, and that's a really growing industry. Absolutely, uh, even here in New York, people are keeping chickens. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a great way to to uh, utilize a little bit of open land and in a in a. Uh, uh, productive way and and teach kids about where their food comes from absolutely absolutely um well that's it's it's just a question you know it's a question that i've been asking pretty much everybody just because you know it's it's an interesting thing to think you know this has kind of the, been the first wave of this artisan cheese and thinking about where it's going to go um in, in the future um, we 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 hope that the artisan uh that our cheese making will create value for our farm. Um, the way the dairy industry is going, uh, heading towards bigger and bigger farms, our farm probably would not uh, be a viable farm going into the future, shipping into the federal regulated, federal order regulated plant. Mm-hmm. So this, this hopefully makes our farm uh, uh, more sustainable operation going into the future than than if we were just making uh and shipping generic milk like you said yeah it gives you you have control over your destiny and uh and you're making a lot of people happy <laughs> by uh <laughs> making delicious cheese you know that's that's a that's a big part that's a big part of it um we've made made milk um uh since 1980 and and my wife and i have and and you load it onto a stainless steel bulk tank and it goes down the road and then you turn around and go back to work on your cows and and it's it's been gratifying to to make a product um see people that like it and and appreciate it it, it gives us a whole other level of satisfaction in in the dairy business well, that is, that's fantastic. I really hope that, um, you know, that I think having your story out there and having people being able to listen in, you just, you just never know. It's a very inspiring thing. And, and I thank you so much for taking time out of your Sunday to talk with me. Um, so what do you think? Do you think there's a chance that uh, New Hampshire could change its state motto from like live free or die to eat cheese or die? <laughs> I'll uh, call Lorraine Merrill and tell her you suggested. That. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we can we can hope, anyways. <laughs> yeah. We just lost a battle this last year. The state drink is now apple cider instead of milk. <sighs> we have a uh, New Hampshire really has a lot of agriculture, but it's it's a changing agriculture. Um, dairy is still the number one dollar. Um, uh, producer in the state, but um, the greenhouse business, horticulture, is right tight behind it and growing. Wow. Wow. Well, that's Uh, great. It's great to hear that there's, I don't know, that there's more opportunities um, 
you know, happening uh, around, with agriculture in general? Our, our area uh, is not unaccustomed to change. Um, in the 1900s, uh, this was a big wool um, producing area. Oh. Uh, our town right now has, has about 350 residents. At the turn of the century, uh, we had over a thousand. Wow. We had seven operating scru- schools. Uh, there, <clears throat> if anybody's traveled through New England, they'll see the the stone walls going through all the woods. Mm-hmm. Well, at one point, those stone walls were what held sheep in, and we made wool in this area. Uh, shipped it into the big woolen mills in in the Manchester and Concord area. And our little brook here actually had three bobbin mills on it at one point um, that made bobbins to go in and be used in the the wool business. When the railroads went in in the early 1900s and they found they could grow sheep out in the Midwest uh, cheaper than than they, they can here, um, that industry sort of died within about five years. Wow, that fast. Yeah, um, wow. and and that's when Darien started to take over in, in this area and has been the predominant agriculture um, up, up until then, up until now. And now you see dairy has largely gone the same way, you know, it's especially with those, you know, mega dairies out West mm-hmm. in California and in the more arid states, it's yep. placed a real strain on, on dairy, you know, uh, where it was traditionally done and in yep. places that were kind of suitable for small family farms. So, you know, kudos to you guys for bucking the trend and make, find a way to make it work. You know, it's, it's just fantastic. It's still a work in progress, and I'll let you know in five years how successful it's been. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I have nothing but faith in you guys. So, <laughs> thank you. Oh, well, um, unfortunately, I think I think we're out of time, and I think you know who knows. Maybe the game is turned around by this point, yes, so we can. I hope uh, so. <laughs> Uh, but thank you so much for, for taking time to, to enlighten me about the world of cheese and dairy in New Hampshire, and uh, we'll talk with you again real soon. Thank you, Anne. Thank you, and yeah. stay. Uh, join us next week for another episode of Cutting the Curd on Heritage Radio Network. She's gone to play for a fool. Yes, it's true, because everybody knows. She's-